Good afternoon. Thank you com for coming to this session. Today we're going to talk about three distinct things. One is adoption at scale and how to do that with automation and governance in place. So I'll walk you through the agenda and uh, go through what we're going to talk about today. So at a high level, we're going to talk about governance at scale, how to enable that, um, how to make that self-service as possible. So think of it as how do I scale out my environment so that I can have multiple AWS accounts and go into a multi-account environment, and then how do I provision resources in that environment at scale. And then most of the session, we're actually going to spend on diving deep into demos and showing you how to do that. So beforehand, I'll show you a list of things that we will be going through. So if you want to take a quick picture of this, um, we will be going through most of what's on the screen here. And we put little URLs for you so you can actually uh, copy paste them. And when you go back home, you would be able to kind of go through them as, as well. So we're going to kind of cover most of the topics that are there, not everything that's there. <clears throat> All right, cool. So when we talk to our customers, a lot of them tell us they want to be able to do two things, right? Stay agile, be able to build and enable their builders to be able to build new services and, 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 and applications for them. At the same time, they want to be able to establish governance and make sure that everything is following their compliance rules and regulations, right? So for example, I want to make sure I launch an S3 bucket, but at the same time, I can do that very quickly, but at the same time, I'm able to make sure that it's meeting all of my security and governance requirements. Now we want to extend that even further. I want to be able to create AWS accounts and create new environments fairly quickly and be able to manage it from a central location. So we released AWS Control Tower, which kind of enables and tries to kind of give you that capability to be able to govern and do security, compliance, operations in, in from, from one perspective, and at the same time be agile and provide self-service capabilities to end users. And the analogy I'd like to use is always is think of it from a franchise point of view. Let's say if I start a store, let's say I start a coffee shop or a pizza store or any kind of restaurant that I start. The first time I started something, it's going to take me some time for me to get familiar with it, build it, so my customers are used to it, that I want to grow. I want to have, let's say, uh, four stores or five stores in my town. Uh, and as I grow it, then I want to go nationwide or globally uh, and, and expand globally. And I want to make sure things are consistent and I could build and scale things across, right? So for example, my first store it might take me a year to build. My second, third, and fourth store might take me six months to build. And then when I want to scale to, let's say, 1,000 stores or 50 stores or 100 stores and I want to go nationwide, I want to, for example, be able to do that fairly quickly in a consistent and, and compliant manner. So when somebody walks into my store, they're actually able to see or understand that once they walk into the store, they know which store they're in, which franchise they're in, what they can order, what the menu looks like, and they create that fast experience. So think of Control Tower as the ability to create kind of those franchises fairly quickly and be able to create accounts that are consistent in your environment and give you the ability to do self-service and experiment fairly quickly in that environment. So from a management governance point of view, we have kind of three pillars for our services. We have an enable uh, pillar, provisioning and operate, and kind of Control Tower works across all of them. It's primarily focused on the enable side. Uh, think services like AWS Organizations and AWS Control Tower, they kind of build a foundation. So think of this as how I want to be able to, let's say, franchise and build more institutions or more stores. I would be able to do that fairly quickly and at scale. Now, when we talk about provisioning, think about it in terms of what I provision. So I can be provisioning AWS accounts, and it could also be provisioning AWS resources, or think about it in a store analogy as that's the kind of service I'm providing to my end users. So for example, if I'm going to be a coffee shop, 
anybody who walks into my coffee store, whether they're in Seattle or in Las Vegas or in New York or London, they get the same kind of experience, right? That, that coffee tastes the same, looks the same, everything around it is consistent, right? So when we talk about provisioning, we'll talk about a little bit of how to provision at scale and create consistency across your environment. And, and most importantly is how to operate that. So let's go back to my store example. Let's say I run, a, run out of coffee beans in a store in London. I want to be able to kind of track that and be able to, to remediate any kind of uh, changes that happen in that environment. So we'll walk through three examples that we'll walk at a high level through the enable part, provisioning and how to operate. We'll be heavily focused on the enable section of it and talking about how to scale out and build your AWS organization within Control Tower to be able to scale out and, and grow. And we have a framework that we've defined, um, which we'll go over as well. So let's start with enablement at governance and talk about what are the three kind of found four foundations that we've built service uh, control tower off of. So <clears throat> the four foundations we built it off of is the first one is to be able to build a landing zone within AWS. So AWS landing zones, we announced it a couple of years ago. It's kind of a baseline foundation of how I set up my environment. So how many accounts do I have? What are the baseline accounts I need to be able to govern in my, in my accounts, in my, in my AWS environment, sorry, and be able to scale that out? The other component to it is the ability to centralize identity and access. So if I create a few accounts, I want to be able to allow my cloud admins to be able to log in to all of those accounts and be able to manage that environment. So the other kind of pillar where we built Control Tower off of is, is the ability to be able to centrally access other accounts and be able to manage everything from a central location. So I, I built out my foundation. That's how, to, how I set up my AWS landing zones. I have a set of accounts, and we'll go through that in detail on how the Control Tower set set up and how you want to approach building AWS accounts and, and, and building your organizational units. And then we'll talk about central identity and access. The third pillar that we have is the ability to establish guardrails. So this is kind of think of it in the store terms. I walk into my store, and I walk into the store in London. I walk into the store in New York. I walk into the store in Seattle. They all look the same. They all have the same kind of compliance and requirements built in. So that's the kind of guardrails that I've built into my store that I'm meeting, let's say, all health and safety requirements in that store. So think of the same kind of concept on AWS. I go into an account. I know, for example, I can't have an EBS volume that's not encrypted. I have a specific set of guardrails and, and, and compliance requirements that are enforced on it. So I can't, for example, have an S3 bucket that's not encrypted or it's open to the world. And the fourth component associated with is, is the ability to automate and create new accounts within that environment. So I will be able to be able to create brand new AWS accounts easily. So think of this as I'm expanding my franchise and I want to be able to create brand new stores fairly quickly. So I want to reduce the time for me to create a new account and bring on new applications. I want to be doing all of this while I'm managing the environment and I'm operating on a continuous basis. So for example, if somebody violates a guardrail, I want to be notified of it. I want to take actions associated with it and remediate whatever guardrail was, was um, violated. So when you create an AWS control tower environment, you'll get this out of the box. This is the kind of high-level account-based overview of what you'll get. And this is kind of the out-of-box experience, and I'll walk through how you might want to expand that and, and grow your organization so that um, you would have a, a consistent manner and be able to scale out and what we've seen with customers we've worked with in terms of how they would want to lay out their environments. So at a high level, when you create AWS Control Tower, on the top you see a master account, so that's your master payer account or your AWS organization's root account, and it comes with three baseline components. It comes with a Control Tower dashboard, 
which has account factory in it, so it gives you the ability to create brand new accounts, and it's using AWS Service Catalog to vent out or automate the creation of AWS accounts. It comes with two organizational units out of the box. So there's one core OU, which is the baseline OU, has a baseline security-based accounts in there, and it has a custom OU, which is kind of just an out-of-box experience, and we'll extend that out as, as I go through the slides, and you'll be able to create new OUs there. So that's an example one that just created, and there are no actually accounts or provisioned accounts associated with it. And it gives you a single sign-on capability. So it gives you the ability to be able to log in to all of your other, other accounts. So as an admin, I log into the Control Tower Master account, and I would be able to access all the accounts. And it deploys guardrails, and the way it deploys guardrails is using stack sets and CloudFormation, and you'll see that when, when Eric does the demo. All right, so the other two accounts it creates out of the box is a log archive account and an audit account. The log archive account is your central logging account, so it aggregates all the logs for CloudTrail uh, into a central account, and it creates an audit account as well, which allows you to be able to do uh, security and auditing capabilities that are built in there. So this is at, at the account level. Now let's look at what it looks like from an OU perspective. So from an OU perspective, you have two OUs, as I mentioned before. There's a core OU and a custom OU. The core OU is the baseline one, so that's, that's what comes out of the box, and it's kind of pre-configured. You won't be able to modify it today. And, and the custom OU is basically your, your builder uh, area where you start building or provisioning accounts, or you want to add additional OUs in that environment for you to be able to create new workloads or new environments in that account. So now I'm going to focus on the OU part of it and kind of walk you towards what we think is a multi-account um, framework environment. So this is what you get out of the box we talked about. So think of this as two kind of high-level structures you want to look at. There's a foundational OU perspective. As you can see here, there's a core OU, which, is, which I mentioned before. So think of that as your security OU, and you have two accounts built in there, which I'll show you, that, are, that come out of the box with control tower. And then think of the infrastructure one as this is a separate OU where you will have your shared services. So think of things of, like, for example, I have a networking account, I share services out to other accounts, and they will be able to use it. On the other side, which is the left-hand side, you'd, or your right-hand side, sorry, uh, is the additional OUs you would be able to create. So what we've seen with customers is we see two types of kind of OUs that would play in this environment to start off with. One is a sandbox one. So I want to let people experiment. I want developers to be able to do things, learn how to use AWS, do, do additional tests on that environment, and, the, and I want to have an OU, which is my workload. So I have my production workloads sitting in that environment. So we start off with this. We start off with, with two OUs, the core and the custom. You notice that the custom is now gone, and I actually have two OUs on the right-hand side, which are specific to workloads that I'm going to run in my environment. So now, oh, <clears throat> these are the two accounts which Control Tower creates log archive and security tooling, which are out of the box, so you can create the other additional accounts should you decide to move forward with it. Now, let's look at, as I extend my environment and I grow my AWS environment, how am I going to build and have a new OU structure so I'll be able to think about it. So think of this as a kind of a framework to work off of. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's a great framework to work off of. We've kind of built this by working with a lot of customers in this space. So if you see on the Right-hand side, you'll see the number of OUs has extended, and now you have additional OUs there as you grow and, and, and build more environments in there. So you have the sandbox and the workload, which was there before, and now you have one for, for example, for policy staging, so you'll be able to test and check new policies that you're building or SCPs that you're applying to your environment. You'll have a suspended one. So think of this in terms of, let's say I have a franchise, I have 1,000 stores, and I decide to shut down 50 or 100 of them. I want, there's, it's going to take some time for me to shut them down, so let me suspend them and put them in a suspended state so I can la 
later on turn them off or remove resources from them as I need. So think of it in that context, right? And then I'll have individual business users. I'll have one for exceptions. For example, I'll be testing a new store out. I'll be testing a new look. I'll have different guardrails assigned to it. So think of that as an exception environment. And I'll have deployments where I'll have things that are being deployed for my infrastructure components. Now, as I grow this, I will have and add more structure to it, right? So I'll add an SDLC process, for example, for what I'm adding to my infrastructure components. I'll have an SDLC process for my workloads. And I will have production-specific OUs as I grow into that environment. So I'll have one OU which is specific for production, and I'll have OUs which are, let's say, for dev or QA for testing purposes. So this is kind of a framework um, we're working towards the last two slides I, as I showed to you. So these would be kind of how you would extend Control Tower as you grow in that environment. Now, the other pillar or component that builds Control Tower is, is the centralized identity access. So today it uses AWS SSO and it gives you the ability to be able to log into all the accounts that are being created if you're AWS Control Tower admin. There are a bunch of pre-configured groups and permission sets that are built into that native directory on AWS SSO. So there's, for example, a cloud uh, Control Tower admin, there's a service catalog end user to provision new accounts and a bunch of other things. You can extend it and use other directories that AWS SSO supports or if you decide to integrate with Okta, we actually have a lab there. So if you want to take a picture of that, you'd be able to use that, that lab to be able to integrate with Okta and use Okta in that environment. All right, cool. The other pillar which we'll go through, and Eric will actually demo some of it, is, is to establish guardrails. So <clears throat> we have two types of guardrails that Control Tower comes out of the box with. One is preventive guardrails, and then there's detective guardrails. So think of this as preventive ones or baselines. Like you walk into a, into a house or you walk into a store, there's walls, there's specific requirements associated with it. Those are preventive and they actually prevent you from, from doing things in that environment. In the control tower world, we use organizations, SCPs or service control policies to enforce them. So they prevent you upfront from doing things. Now there's a sec second set of guardrails which we call detective guardrails and today they're using AWS config rules which allow you to detect if something has been violated. So for example, if I create an EBS volume that's not encrypted, I would be able to detect that in my environment. The ones that are always compliant or preventive, they're always gonna be compliant. The ones that are pre uh, detective, they can either show up in a compliant state, and if they are in a non-compliant state, they will show up as non-compliant within the dashboard of Control Tower. We have three kinds of categorizations of what the guardrail looks like within Control Tower. So we have mandatory ones, which, guard, which Control Tower enforces on a set of accounts as, it, as they're created. And then we have strongly recommend, recommended guardrails, and then we have elective guardrails that you can apply. So those are not applied by default, and, and it's up to you if you want to apply them at, at, um, at a account level, at the OU level, sorry. And my last point is that the organizations, uh, at, at the OU level, you apply a guardrail. So if I create, let's say, a guardrail, or I take advantage of a guardrail, and I apply it, and here's a set of guardrails. They're applied at the OU level, and they apply to any existing accounts in that OU, and any net new accounts that you create within that OU. So if I use the account factory, and I actually create net new products, or net new accounts, they will automatically get the guardrails. And then we have some categorization associated with what do those guardrails do, or what, what kind of problems or areas they're trying to address. So we have these kind of categorizations, as you can see, on the left-hand side, so for example, IEM, data security, networking, monitoring, audit logs, et cetera. And on the right-hand side, you can see examples of what those guardrails are within Control Tower. So I covered guardrails at a high level. I talked about the 
SSO integration with it. And I talked about how to set up that landing zone and build that organizational units out as, as you scale. So now let's talk about how to provision AWS accounts. And, and Eric's actually going to show how to extend that further and be able to actually provision resources that end users use. So Control Tower comes out of the box with the ability to create accounts using AWS Service Catalog, and it allows you to build accounts. But think a little bit further than that. So let's say I build my accounts, I provision my stores, or I create my new franchises in my environment. Now I want to be able to make sure that the end user or the consumable resource that those end users are going to use are also consistent. So think of the coffee example. I want to make sure the coffee tastes the same in New York, tastes the same in London, tastes the same in Seattle, or any other city that I have set up with, with my store. So I want to be able to provision resources in the AWS world so that my EMR cluster provisioned in account one is the same as the EMR resource provisioned in account 20 is the same as the one provisioned in account 100. So I want to create consistency in my standards that are, that are deployed across my environment. And Eric will show you how to extend that capability and use Service Catalog to be able to do that. Now, with, with Account Factory, what it specifically does, it's a Service Catalog product that will create an AWS account. When it creates the AWS account, you can have a networking baseline associated with it. So you can set up a baseline VPC, and it'll set up the account for you. And you can specify which organizational unit that account belongs to. So when you set up the organizational unit for that account, it will automatically apply all the guardrails that are associated to it within Control Tower to that account. So you'd be able to automatically enforce guardrails in that given account. As I mentioned before, Think about expanding this further, right? And expanding how you do your best practices and be able to actually provide more resources in that environment and being able to create, let's say, EC2 instances, EMR clusters, S3 buckets that are consistent in following your, your, organizational, uh, your organizational best practices. What you can do is, in the Control Tower Master account, you can create a portfolio of service catalog products that are your best practices. So examples I've put up here is EMR and EC2, and you'd, you can build any, basically anything and distribute them out using AWS organizations to all of your provisioned accounts or your workload accounts and be able to allow them to be able to, to, for end users in those accounts to be able to leverage that. And Eric will actually show you a quick demo on that as well. So now, the last component, which I'll touch on, is how to operate this environment, right? So how do I operate this environment? Now that I've set it up, I know how to provision things, uh, in my environment, how do I operate and make sure I can take, it, take advantage of things and, and be able to make sure everything is running the consistent manner? So from a consistency, from a operating point of view, there's four things that you want to take into consideration. So one is monitoring, so the ability to be able to monitor the environment and see what resources are running where. The ability to audit it, so we have an audit account, so you'll be able to audit how your environment is set up, and you want to be able to act on it and then be able to see all of, all of the information within the dashboard capability. So Control Tower gives you a dashboard. Within the dashboard, you can monitor how your guardrails are doing. So are they in violation or are they not in violation? Uh, and then it allows you to take actions associated with it. So we released what we call lifecycle events, the ability for Control Tower to put events that are happening through Control Tower. So think of this as I create a new account and be able to tr track that in CloudTrail and then for you to be able to use CloudWatch events to take actions associated with it. So to be able to expand that and be able to take operational capabilities associated with it. So I gave you a pretty quick overview of, of Control Tower and thinking about governance and scale and automation. I'm going to hand it off to Eric, who is going to talk about, uh, go, go into details and dive a little deeper into how to specific, specifically do some of these things. And with that, Eric. Thanks, Monty. Everybody hear me OK? Sounds like it. All right. 
So we're going to continue this into a little bit more of a technical deep dive. We'll get into the uh, what, sort of what's happening under the covers and, and control tower, how some of these things are implemented. But more importantly, we're also going to talk about uh, how do we extend these and what are some of the considerations that we need to consider uh, and think about when we're starting to maybe use control tower in a, an enterprise environment or maybe uh, you know, something that's a little more complex than just a basic account setup, right? So um, we're going to go through those things, and then we'll talk about a little bit about um, service catalogs' ability to provision those resources out to our end users. So how do we extend this capability like Account Factory has to the resources that our users are going to use to build their applications and make sure that they're being done consistently and in a compliant format? And then lastly, we're going to talk about building out some CICD around that process as well, right? So extending that testing capability and those safety nets and guardrails around uh, the process that we use to publish those types of things as well. So first we'll talk about the account factory piece and how we're doing account provisioning in general, right? And so just to kind of refresh on what Madi talked about and step through that process a little bit, um, and then we'll pop over into the console and start doing some demos with this. But um, we have different user personas inside Control Tower. So for example, a Control Tower administrator, uh, in this case, will log into Control Tower via AWS SSO, uh, and then create a new custom OU, for example, inside organizations, all this being done through Control Tower, um, and then establish uh, some guardrails that we want to enforce on that. So as uh, Madi mentioned, Control Tower is automatically going to put all of those mandatory guardrails on any account that's created going forward, right? But we might have other ones that we want to add, like elective guardrails or something that's strongly recommended. So for example, um, you know, preventing SSH from, uh, a security group from permitting SSH uh, from anywhere in the world, for example, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so we can, we can put those guardrails on there. And importantly, we don't have to know all the details about how that guardrail works. We don't have to write a bunch of code in Lambda or anything like that. We can just assign that guardrail to the OU. It'll automatically get populated to our accounts, and we're protected. And then lastly, uh, you know, uh, an end user in this case would be able to create that new account. So one of the interesting things that Control Tower lets us do is to start building out responsibilities and roles, right? So that control tower admin can focus on managing the control tower pieces and the guardrails and that sort of thing. And then we can delegate permissions to users, uh, non-administrative users from control tower's perspective to be able to self-provision accounts without ever having to call somebody, open a ticket, do anything like that. And they can do it in a secure fashion, right? So um, with that, we'll just uh, get out of PowerPoint here. Let me just switch over. Perfect. Okay. So the first place we'll start here is just look at the Control Tower dashboard. And we're not going to go through sort of all of the basics that, that uh, we've covered. There is a link to a talk that we did at Reinforce as well that sort of covers a little bit of that more like 101 uh, demonstration. So we'll try to focus on um, some of the more uh, advanced things here. But as we can see, I've already sort of seeded my environment with uh, a number of OUs and a number of accounts. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go through some of these. But essentially, these OUs are sort of mapping out to what Madi referenced earlier, that framework where we want to have different uh, organizational units to split out our work. And for today's talk, we'll be focusing specifically on production infrastructure and production workloads, workloads being the OU that holds our accounts where our services would run, the infrastructure one, shared services, things like our network control. So I mentioned we're going to talk about enterprise networking and control tower, so we'll look at some transit gateway and what some considerations might be for that. And all of that transit gateway stuff will be held inside the, the production infrastructure OU. So. 
So if we look at the account provisioning piece, we'll go look at Account Factory first. Uh, as Monty mentioned, Account Factory runs as a service catalog portfolio. Um, its job is to automate all of the processes necessary to create the account and maybe establish a network baseline. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers what it was like you know, years ago, but having worked at an enterprise customer before, creating accounts and doing that whole process in an automated fashion was not always very simple. Um, we think you know, things have gotten quite a bit better in this case, so um, what we'll do is just hop over here, and what I've done is create a, a delegate user who's not a control tower admin, and given that user permissions to start self-service provisioning these accounts uh, without having to like, ask anyone. So what we'll do is log into our SSO portal, um, and for anyone that's not familiar with SSO, once you set up a single sign-on in AWS, we're gonna get this nice little single sign-on portal here. I'll log out so you guys can see this. And essentially, we'll be able to log in, and in this case, we're gonna log in with our delegate user. Um, and we're gonna see a few things. Because I've cheated and pre-provisioned some accounts and things like that, so you guys don't have to sit around and wait for that to all finish, um, we're gonna see some user accounts sitting in here. This particular user happens to be the owner of these accounts, so we'll see that he has permissions to access those particular accounts uh, as an administrative user. But when we look at the Control Tower Master account, he has this service catalog end user access. So he has very little permissions to the Control Tower Master account. Basically, the only thing he's allowed to do, access service catalog and launch accounts. So, so if we log into the account as this delegate user, and then move over to the service catalog UI, what we should see in here is simply one thing, which is the Control Tower Account Factory, right? So if we come in here and launch this with a simple launch of a button, we'll just say that we're gonna create a new account called this. Click through next, we're gonna give it a few parameters. And so one of the parameters here, this SSO user email, this is the user who owns the account, right? So he has uh, full administrative privileges by default. And so this, uh, in this case, we're gonna make that our delegate user so that we end up creating a bunch of different accounts. And then we need to give it a, uh, a unique user for the account contact. So in this case, we're just gonna make this uh, test service. And then we get to pick the organization unit that we're gonna stick it in and we'll put it in production workloads and then give it a name. Okay. Click next. And that's it. So this behind the scenes will go out and start a provisioning workflow that's orchestrated through Control Tower to actually start the process of creating the account through the, the APIs uh, and when that account's created, it'll be joined to the AWS organizations that we've set up automatically. It will be moved to the correct organizational units inside organizations, and all the guardrails that Control Tower has established for that OU will automatically be propagated to the account and enforced, right? And then a bunch of other things are gonna happen in the back end to sort of set that up and orchestrate all those things. But essentially, if we come back in about you know, 60 minutes or so, this account will be ready for us and completely provisioned, and all the guardrails will be in place and established, right? So I won't make you sit here and watch this, um, but suffice to say, it hasn't aired out and, uh, at this point, so we can be pretty confident at this point that it's progressing, and uh, if, uh, throughout the demo, we'll probably see this account show up in the control tower uh, console before we wrap up here. So I'm just gonna pop back into the master account.
All right. So going back to Mahdi's analogy, right, uh, of the franchisees and the restaurants, right, it's that easy for us to launch an account that looks exactly the same as all the other accounts in our infrastructure. And we know that we didn't have to do a whole big process to do that. The, the user could self-provision that account without getting anybody involved. And we know that it's always going to look the same. It's always going to be consistent. And all the guardrails that we add before and anything going forward will automatically be applied. So this is a good way for us to securely create those accounts uh, at scale, right? Because this thing's easy when we're doing a handful of accounts. But when we start getting into hundreds or thousands of accounts, this is where it becomes difficult, right? So, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about uh, more complex network constructs. So one of the things that we noticed in Account Factory, right, is that we have that network baseline. And that Account Factory network baseline is the ability to um, create a VPC during that account creation, right? So one of the things that you have to consider when we're doing enterprise networking, though, is that VPC ciders for those uh, network allocations need to be managed properly. And Account Factory, by default, will take the stance that every VPC it creates will use the same CIDR address that's set up inside Account Factory, which isn't great, right? So if, if you're not considering that, and then down the road you want to do things like peering or transit gateway, that can, that can get uh, problematic, right? So we have to consider those options before we start creating accounts. And, and one of the interesting things that we can do is just disable that network baseline inside Account Factory so it stops trying to create a VPC for us entirely. And then we can use the things that we're going to look at here, like service catalog, to provision that network in a standardized fashion. So let's say that you guys uh, get to this point and you say, I'm going to standardize a VPC and what a VPC should look like in my enterprise. And so I build a CloudFormation template or I build a Terraform module to do that. Um, what I can do is turn off Account Factory's VPC creation process and then actually use Service Catalog to delegate the creation of that VPC using that CloudFormation template or Terraform module uh, instead of relying on Network Factory, right? So in this case, one of the interesting things that Monty mentioned is this lifecycle eventing that we've done, right? So now we're emitting events straight out to CloudTrail. So for example, one of those APIs that happens in Control Tower is the Create Account API call, right? And so now I can watch uh, and set up an event bus rule inside uh, CloudTrail to watch those events and say, anytime the create account API is called, I might want to do a bunch of things. One of those things is probably create a VPC using the standardized template. But there's a, probably a host of other things you want to do to accounts that have nothing to do with Control Tower, but something you would always do to an account when it's created, right? Um, and we can start putting all those things in and letting Control Tower in conjunction with CloudTrail and Event Bus to, uh, or Event Bridge to actually automate all those processes, right? So. Um, and we'll look at that in practice here. But for those who aren't familiar, uh, and I apologize, this is like a little cut off on the, the screen, but um, Transit Gateway is a one really great option for providing connectivity in our VPC. So uh, normally we might have to do like VPC peering between all of these VPCs, and that requires the VPC to get created first, and then we establish all these peering connections, right? Uh, what we're showing here is simply a basic Transit Gateway setup, uh, very common, where it's basically full east to west communications between all VPCs. There's no isolation boundaries. There's no different uh, routing domains. Everybody can talk to everybody in this case. And we've layered on some things like VPN uh, or maybe Direct Connect in this case, right? So we can put all that in that one global routing layer, share that out. And then what we can actually do is share this transit gateway 
through AWS organizations so that every account that's created now and in the future is automatically going to receive that transit gateway, and we aren't going to have to go uh, and do anything. Like, we're not going to know that an account was created. We don't have to do any of that process. We can just you know, automatically get that shared out without having to be involved in that process. So we'll look at that here in practice. Okay. So what we'll do actually is, so going back to my earlier uh, references, I have a bunch of different accounts. One of those accounts would be my network account, and that one lives in the production infrastructure organizational unit. So that one's been moved away from the user services, and it's its own account, right? So we're going to pop in here. I'm just going to take a look at a few things. So one of the things that we need to do, obviously, is create the transit gateway. And I've already done that, so we don't have to go through this process. But essentially, it's you know a handful of boxes here that we would fill out normally. But in this case, we've already filled out a transit gateway. We've given it, it's got its own BGP ASN. It's already owned by this account, and it's in an available state. And we've got all sort of the basics set up. And then we have a single transit gateway route table, which again is that global route table. We have no isolation boundaries enforced. And then what we're going to do is actually use a service called Resource Access Manager, or RAM, to share this transit gateway out across multiple accounts. Or in this case, what we're going to do is actually share this transit gateway to the AWS organizations uh, that Control Tower created for us, right? So rather than share this out per account, we'll share it out once to the organization, and then those accounts will automatically receive that transit gateway when they're added to AWS organizations. So what I've done here is just create a resource access share, and I can do this again, just so you guys can see what this process looks like. All right. Oops. All right. So in this case, rather than specify an AWS account number in this case, what I would do is just take the organization's ID put it in here, right? And by just doing that alone and creating this resource share, this will automatically be propagated out to every account that joins our AWS organizations in the future. So we can go look at that in practice. So if we go to one of our workload services, we can see this in action. So this is an account that was created via Control Tower here very recently. We did nothing other than let it come up automatically through the normal account provisioning process. And we can see that it already has the transit gateway uh, visible to it. Uh, and we'll see that the owner account ID is shared, and it's coming from that network account. And so we didn't have to do anything. This stuff automatically shows up and is propagated to these accounts. Right? And if we look at the attachments, we'll see this VPC is attached to this transit gateway. And so now this VPC automatically has connectivity to the rest of the VPCs in our enterprise. Uh, and we didn't have to establish a peering connection. We didn't have to do a bunch of manual work. Everything sort of just gets meshed together for us automatically, right? So this is a very convenient way of doing enterprise networking in this case. Again, the biggest consideration here is what are we going to do about IP management, right? So we need to consider what our options are and what our requirements are going to be in the future. And so even if you're not going to do this now, it should be part of your consideration model before you start creating a bunch of accounts in Control Tower, right? Because you don't want to have workloads with overlapping VPC siders and then have to migrate them out again uh, later. That, that's a, a whole thing, so. OK.
So let's look at the self-service provisioning piece, right? So we talked about um, how we would create those VPCs, for example, or how we might push out products to our end users so they could deploy things, like let's say like an RDS database or something, right? We might want to have a standardized format for users who need a database, um, so we could just create uh, a set of cloud formation templates or Terraform modules, publish those via service catalog, and then end users can log into that service catalog portal, pick the product from there, and then deploy that product to their accounts, right? Uh, again, being done in a secure and standardized format. This is one of the ways that we can also use this is, again, like I mentioned, is the, the VPC piece um, where we can actually use this to uh, deploy those standardized formats that, that we disabled in Account Factory. So just to walk through this process again, Control Tower Admin would log into AWS SO, create a portfolio in that master account. So this might be the VPC template or a set of RDS or database options. Push those out into the member accounts locally and so that will generate a local portfolio and service catalog so that the end users can see it, right? And then our end users, after we've done all that work, can come in to that same SSO portal. They'll get a different set of permissions, obviously minimal permissions, right? And then launch a product from that spoke account. And then once that product's launched, Control Tower is already in there watching everything that comes up, right? And so any detective or preventive guardrails that we had in place via Control Tower will monitor that and validate guardrail compliance to those new resources that are created, right? So this is kind of that full circle piece where we've given that agility to our end users and that ability for them to deploy resources uh, while still establishing that, that governance model, right? So if we switch over here, we can have a look at what that looks like in practice. So we're gonna switch back to the master account. And so if we go into service catalog, we can take a look at the products list here. And one of the things we're gonna see is this enterprise standard VPC. So this is just a cloud formation template that I created that will create a VPC with two public, two private subnets um, and a handful of other basic things like normal VPC stuff, nothing special there. But like if we wanted to create a VPC, for example, we could just say like, I don't know, like test VPC. And it's gonna ask us some things, like what's the uh, availability zones that we wanna run in? So we might say 2A and 2B. And here we can kind of give this a CIDR address. So like if we wanna do, you know, 10, 0, 0, 0, slash 16. Let's do 10. And so what we've already got now is this ability for us to uh, do proper IP management here in this case and allocate the correct subnets to the correct availability zones or subnets in our VPC. This way we can kind of control our destiny and, and follow our, our best practice principles uh, when it comes to IP management and make sure that we're not going to have any overlaps. But we still get that same sort of uh, governance model, that same agility, right? This is just as easy. Um, and we can automate all this process, right? So rather than me coming in here and clicking this, like I mentioned, what we can do is just simply watch for that create account cloud trail event, put an event bridge rule in place to watch for that API call, and then just trigger this exact same uh, service catalog portfolio product and have it launch from here anyway, right? And do this automatically. So there's a lot of different options that we can do to, to put some governance around this, and but still automate it. So in this case, this is gonna just deploy out a CloudFormation stack, create that VPC for us, and if we just went and looked in this case, it's probably already created the VPC. 
right? So here's our guy. And I'm sure it's still provisioning things like internet gateways and NAT gateways, so we won't sit around and wait for that. But this is a way that we can sort of provision out these VPCs and get that standardized network model. This pattern will apply to all sorts of other things, right? So not only can we do things like administrative portfolio things like VPCs or other uh, high-level services like, say, guard duty or something like that, um, but we can also do this, extend this model to end-user products like uh, web servers or RDS databases or something like that, right? So if we look here in this product catalog, I also have published something called like self-service databases. Again, this is two or three cloud formation templates that allow an end user to create an EC2 instance uh, with Windows or an EMR instance or an RDS MySQL database, right? These all sort of follow the standard pattern that I want all of my users to follow when they create an RDS database. Um, and so I can sort of control that process, but still let them self-service provision the resources that they need. Um, so I've used this uh, process, and it, it, the process to, to create these is actually quite simple, right? So if we come in here and add a product, if we have a CloudFormation template, so for example, we'll call this like um, sample DB. This deploys a database. Skip all these things here. And then literally all we need to do is have a uh, template file available to us. So for example, if I take this CloudFormation template, upload this template, and give it uh, you know, a version. So this supports semantic versioning. So as this changes over time, we can keep bumping that version number up, giving it release notes so that people can see what the difference is between template version 1.0 for our VPC to template 1.5, for example, right? We've maybe added a, a different NAT gateway type or something like that from you know, the old stuff to the managed NAT gateway or something like that. So that process is just as easy. And then once we create that product, we just add products to portfolios. And portfolios are the way that we manage as a container the sharing of products, and we can group products together, and then put permissions and sharing on there. So for example, just like we talked about with Transit Gateway and that ability to share to an organization, we can also share that uh, portfolio out with the organization. So we don't have to do anything when new accounts are created. So if I come in here and I want to share this, um, I can choose to do that to an organization. And again, I just need to see the organization ID here. Oops. And share that out. And now, any account that gets added to our AWS organization will automatically get this imported into their service catalog, right? So just the same way that Transit Gateway works when it comes to an account gets created out of the organization, they get those resources, these will automatically be available to our end users as well, right? So users can come in, see, and they're a new account they just created, okay, now I need to launch a database, and they go into service catalog, and these will already be available to them without having to do anything, right? Okay. Let's switch back. So how do we do what we just did, which is going through the console, load a CloudFormation template up there, create a product, and attach it to our portfolio? How do we do that at scale and safely, right? Because nobody's going to go through the console every time, upload the CloudFormation template, realize they made a mistake, and have it fail, right? Like, that's not a, it's kind of a clunky way of going about it. So 
What we want to do is provide ourselves like a way to do to treat these just like we treat any other infrastructure code or object, right? So if you're writing Terraform or CloudFormation, you should be doing some sort of software development cycle around that, right? So maybe I'm going to run it through a CI CD pipeline. So we should treat service catalog products just the same way because they underneath they're just infrastructure templates, right? So let's walk through this process. If an infrastructure engineer checks in a new template, like we have an existing, we have our VPC template, for example, and it's time to, to make a new change. We're going to add a third AZ to our VPC template, for example. So we make that change into the CloudFormation template. We check it in, and I have code commit here. This could be get, GitHub, uh, GitLab, whatever. Uh, we could also be using Jenkins and, instead of code pipeline, that sort of stuff, right? So pick and choose what your tools are. Doesn't really matter, but in the end of the day here, what we're doing is checking in our template change, automatically triggering off of that git commit into a code pipeline, and code pipeline is automatically going to pick up those changes and start uh, a deploy through code build. And what code build's gonna do in this case is start implementing those uh, CI tests, right? Maybe we're doing linting, maybe we're doing schema validation, uh, maybe we're doing more than that, like spec tests or, or uh, integration tests. And then once those tests pass, then code build will actually deploy those out to CloudFormation and S3, execute those stacks, and then publish them into service catalog, right? So if we follow this process all the way through, what we should have done is protected ourselves to make sure that what we actually pushed is a workable product, the template's valid, and that the product works the way we expected it to work. And if it passes all those tests, end users will automatically get those updates propagated to them without us having to do anything by hand, right? So let's look at that. So if we go back in here to code pipeline, maybe change regions, just to keep everyone guessing here. All right, so we've got this little pipeline that we've created here. So we'll walk through this in a little bit of detail. As I mentioned, the first thing it's gonna do is watch this code repository, whether it's code commit or whatever we're gonna look at, right? Uh, catch a commit change that's happened to that branch that we're monitoring, and then as soon as it picks up that change, we're gonna start some tests. So in this case, the first test we're gonna do, I'm running is a simple test that's going to look for linting uh, errors and schema validation errors. So in this case, I'm using a tool called CFN NAG. If anyone's not familiar with that, CFN NAG's job is to look at uh, a CloudFormation template, lint it for syntax errors, schema errors, and also give you recommendations on sort of best practices, right? So did I create an IAM role that's too broad or something like that? Um, so there's all sorts of extra protections that we can put in place here to make sure that people are doing things and following best practice principles. So if we walk through this process, we can see that the test first uh, is starting to run all these different uh, checks uh, against the template. In this case, we can start seeing warnings like the IAM role should not allow star resource on its permission policy. So obviously, the template I'm pushing through here has an IAM policy much too broad, right? Um, but these are warnings and not fatal errors, right? So I can allow, I can sort of tweak this test to decide whether, what, what my tolerance is, right? So in this case, I'm letting those warnings go through because they're not ideal, but they also don't break the functionality of the, the template. Um, but we could easily do that, right? So in this case, we're letting all the warnings go through, but there are no fatal errors here, and we won't go through this line by line, but essentially all these tests pass against all the templates in the, the, the portfolio. And if they do, uh, in this case, which they did, there's no failure counts, right, um, globally. And so it's passed and succeeded. And if we come back in here to the pipeline, the next step in that pipeline, and beyond just linting and schema tests, what I also want to do 
is test that what I built actually does what I expected it to do. So in this case, what we're gonna do is run TaskCat. And TaskCat is uh, basically an engine that's gonna allow me to test the CloudFormation template that I built. And it'll actually take every one of those templates that I've built, deploy them to the regions I specify, and then assert a set of tests, or unit tests in this case, and validate that what I've asserted is actually true. So this will tell us beyond just the linting that and doing static analysis of the code, that the code actually works the way we intended to do, and that what gets built on the other side of it is exactly what we expected to, to see, right? And so I won't go through all these, but essentially all this is doing is I've specified three regions. The primary region I'm in, US East 1 in this case, US East 2, and US West 1. It will take every template I've got in here, try to deploy those to each of those regions I've specified, and then assert those tests, right? So um, we can probably look at a few of these. There's a lot in here. Okay. So for example, we can start to see that it launched a CloudFormation stack in here, and in this case, it's gonna generate dynamic TaskCat uh, launch names. In this case, we're in region US West 1. All of the output is also logged to a text file, so we can get a lot of debugging details about this if it does fail, for example. And then if any of these were to fail, we can fail the pipeline, right? And so this will protect us from ever pushing something to end users in service catalog that sort of has an error or violates the, the, the best practice principles that we had. So we won't go through all of those, but I can just break something very quickly and show you guys that this will in fact break. So in this Git repo, I can simply go in here and make a very egregious error like break the schema entirely. And so we'll just get rid of these and throw some JSON as in there. So I push these changes, and obviously that's not gonna pass because it doesn't even follow JSON schema practices. And we wait. Maybe. And of course the demo gods are not gonna smile on me today. We won't sit here and stare at this, but suffice to say, I promise it works. <laughs> but essentially what would happen in this case is what we just talked about, right? As soon as this git commit picks up, it should uh, be triggering this pipeline. Not sure exactly what it's doing or why it's taking a minute to, to kick off here, but it will. Um, and that build I showed you earlier was just uh, run yesterday as well. So, um, But this is the same model that we should be following, right? Is again, we wanna make sure that what we pushed into service catalog was tested and validated before we get those uh, to the end users. All right. And so lastly, we'll do one last little thing here uh, to consider. We'll talk about this guardrail violation uh, and mitigation process that we talked about. Again, how are these actually working? So in this case, as Monty mentioned, guardrails are applied at the organizational unit level, never at the account level, ideally anyway, uh, with a few exceptions. 
So what we want to do is make sure that as accounts come into our organizations and are added to OUs, they automatically get these uh, guardrails established to them, end users create those accounts. Uh, and they, if we add new guardrails to that OU later down the road, for example, those will automatically be propagated. And then guardrail violations are surfaced to users via the audit account, via an SNS topic, right? And so with that SNS topic, we have that JSON uh, status that comes out automatically. This allows us to do things like wire that into not only just like basic email notifications, but we could say send out something to PagerDuty, for example, or go out to a Slack channel uh, or all sorts of things and start letting people know that these uh, resources have violated some guardrail. And then we can mitigate those guardrails. Extending these processes, for example, detective guardrails. One of the things that we can do instead of just notifying somebody that a resource has gone out of compliance because let's say our example earlier, a security group is too broad, it allows SSH from any internet address. Um, we can, instead of just letting somebody know about it, we can actually take action automatically through AWS Config to remediate that by calling out the systems manager automation and actually letting that uh, guardrail automatically remediate the violation. So for example, in this case, we would go in and either change that security group rule to be properly scoped or just remove that rule entirely so that it doesn't allow SSH anymore, right? And that way we don't even have to have a human involved in the process. We'll automatically get notified that somebody created a security group that violated our guardrail. AWS config will see it, trigger the automation document, remediate the security group, and then we'll get a notification that the security group that was out of compliance is now back in compliance again. And we'll be able to have a historical view of all that, right? So we'll look at that in a second here. So if we go back to Control Tower, so on that production workloads OU that I created earlier, and I have all these accounts created in, um, we have a couple violations, for example. So I've added two guardrails to that OU that are there by default. One is that SSH guardrail that I talked about. And the second is uh, an RDS database that's not encrypted, right? So in this case, this RDS database doesn't use encrypted storage. That violates our guardrail. So these are the two notifications that we see. So on the dashboard, we obviously get a UI representation of that violation. We would also have gotten an email via that SNS topic, and if, you know, again, if we had that wired up properly, somebody would have been getting a page or alert on that. Or maybe we shove those SNS notifications up to our security operations center, or SOC, for example, right? So there's a lot of different options there. But in this case, what we're gonna do is just go have a look. So I haven't uh, allowed the remediation itself to automatically kick off because I, I wanted to you know, demo this for you guys and otherwise it would just automatically fix itself. But what we can go do is have a look here at the environment in question. So this is, a, a, again, a workload user service in this case. And we're gonna go have a look at this particular resource. So as we can see, there is the guardrail. In this case, is, both of these are detective guardrails. So these are AWS config rules that are automatically deployed. These get deployed to the account via CloudFormation stack sets from the master account. So anybody who's not familiar with a stack set is just to take that concept of a CloudFormation stack and then replicate it to multiple regions or multiple AWS accounts automatically. And as things change in that template, those get propagated out to the account. So this is the way that we use to get these things seeded out. Uh, in addition, this is also the way that guard, uh, Control Tower does all sort of the, the baseline configuration, right? How do we set up CloudTrail? How do we set up AWS Config? How do we build an aggregator? All those types of things that uh, Control Tower is doing during that account provisioning process is done via stack sets, and we can see that in a second. 
But as we can see, there's one security group that's non-compliant, and I've purposely broken the remediation document so that it won't run. But if we go look at the security group and look at the configuration timeline, we can see that it was created yesterday, uh, and there's been some changes since that time, right? So we get that historical timeline of the resource. That way we can kind of see what's happened. And one of the most important things here is from a security perspective uh, is malicious actors often will come in, take a security group, modify that security group quickly, do their nefarious action, and immediately return that security group back into compliance, right? So that's very quick, matter of minutes, right? That's easy to miss in a log stream, for example. But if we have this historical view, we will see every point in time where that resource has changed and be able to get details about not only what changed, right? In this case, somebody added 22, open, uh, it was restricted down to slash 24, and then they moved it to open to the, the internet, right? So we can see that change. We can also see the associated CloudTrail events with it. So we can see who did it, right? In this case, it was me. Um, so that gives it a nice historical view. And also we can see a compliance timeline, right? So we can see it was non-compliant at one point, and then it went compliant, and everything was fine, and then it got broken again, right? So we can kind of see these state transitions from a compliance perspective as well as a configuration perspective, right? Oops. So if we go at, back to that. Manage this resource. We can go fix this back again. Right? And config will pick that up momentarily and uh, fix that, right? So that no longer will violate uh, the compliance guardrail, and in this case, it'll automatically fix itself. We won't sit around and wait, because that'll take a couple minutes for config to pick that change up, right? But if we go with the last few minutes we have here, if we go look at CloudFormation, we'll be able to see what we were talking about earlier, right? Which is, in this case, all of these stacks from uh, Control Tower in here are exactly how we've assigned the account baselines, all the configurations that we care about, um, as well as all the detective controls that we've pushed in here in these cases, right? And then, of course, all the nested stacks that got kicked off from there. So this is the process that uh, Control Tower is doing to sort of seed your accounts, right? So everything is sort of orchestrated by services that you're already familiar with, and you can see all of this stuff. Nothing's hidden from you guys. Um, but all of the resources that we create, all those baselines are protected via preventive controls or preventive guardrails, which are implemented via SCPs or service control policies. Those SCPs actually deny you or anyone other than Control Tower's execution role for making modifications to those baseline configurations that we've created, right? So if somebody, uh, even a full admin user comes in here and tries to turn off CloudTrail, for example, that Control Tower built, that'll get denied, right? So we can protect what we've done via Control Tower, even from administrative users, um, via these SCPs. So there's a combination of both detective and preventive controls that, that sort of guard all those configurations and resources. Cool. All right, and with that, uh, there's a, a number of related sessions that we have out there for uh, different management and governance topics, so certainly check those out. Uh, and with that, that is the end of our session. So thank you guys for your attention, and uh, we appreciate it, and hope you guys have a good week. Yeah.